Welcome back to the Nick Finzer Audio Experience. This is Nick, of course, and we are digging into an old episode of Ask Nick Today, number 69. And in this episode, we are talking about uh, a few things that I think is very, very essential, very useful uh, to your development as a young musician or as any age musician. And that's some questions like, should I learn tunes in 12 keys? Are there ex- What are some experiences that change your musical approach? And some practical advice in terms of how to plan tours and how I've done it and how you might be able to do the same. So thanks for being here and listening to the podcast. I hope you find these questions useful to you. And uh, if you do, please go and leave us a rating on your favorite podcast service. It's very helpful. And thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you in the next one. A couple of things I want to do first, talk about first, which is today on the stream, not right now, but in a little while, we're going to announce the first winner of the Marcinkowitz Scholarship to the Jazz Trombone Boot Camp. So the Jazz Trombone Boot Camp, of course, is June 14 through 18, and we're having wonderful guest artists like Andre Hayward, Vincent Gardner, Michael Davis, Steve Davis, Legends of the Trombone, and uh, it's going to be a super fun week. We've got those master classes. We've got two of our TAs, uh, Jack Courtright and DJ Rice, both of which were finalists for the J.J. Johnson competition, the, the ITA, cream of the crop. Today, 21st, Friday, we have, of course, the launch of a new EP. So my new EP, uh, Cast of Characters Live in Denton, live at UNT, uh, is out today, so which is very exciting. Going ahead to um, share a little bit of that EP and a little bit of a things to come. So you'll get a little bit of a sneak preview of what's to come the following weeks. We got a whole video project that goes with it. So um, I'm excited to get that out into the world. We're going to launch those videos starting next week, and that's going to be great. What I want to share at the beginning of our session today is uh, actually a little bit of that video. So so this track is the evolution of perspective, a new version from cast of characters. I'm going to put my headphones on. So we're listening a little bit here to live in Denton, uh, featuring Lucas Pino, Quincy Davis, Dave Meter, Eric Hitz, and this is out today. You can check it out on Spotify. We've got some videos to come next week. So thanks for listening and checking it out. It's up on Spotify, Instagram. It's only a streaming uh, new record, Castle Characters, live in Denton out today. concert i always planned to document it just to have it but after everything that happened after the um lockdown and uh, thinking i was going on this big tour we were going to go ahead and have like all these shows on the east coast and the west coast we got you know halfway through the west coast dates and everything just got upended and 
uh, me and Lucas were out on the road. I remember we were in Reno and just like in this hotel and like, we got to get out of here because it was so crazy in March of 2020. Like, didn't know what was happening, didn't know if we'd be able to get back to the East Coast, didn't have any idea. So it was like pretty crazy. And this was like the kickoff. Like Lucas had flown in the day before uh, and we kind of dove in and got this music happening with uh, some of our colleagues from UNT. That's Dave Meter on the piano and Quincy Davis on the drums and one of our DMA bass students, Eric Hitt, uh, on the bass. And um, so we got that. So we've got a couple live versions. You can hear the band kind of stretch out. And we got some extra videos of some of the other tunes, and they're going to come out in the next couple of weeks. So there's three tunes that are on this live EP that are um, also on Cast of Characters, the actual record that came out last year. So I'd love to know there's Evolution of Perspective, which we just heard a clip of. Then there's Patience, Patience. And there's also uh, The Sorcerer. Uh, a Sorcerer is a Myth. That's the full title. So I'd love to know which version you like better. So let me know in the comments. <laughs> Brian asked me what's my least favorite instrument. I think my least favorite instrument might be like, you know how when in fourth grade or in whatever, when, when you start playing uh, music in band class, when you're in grade school, like the percussionists get like a package where they get like a drum pad and a really, really crappy set of bells. So I think my least favorite sound is the sound of like fourth graders playing the bells, like sort of in unison, but not. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's my least favorite. But that's like a very spe specific uh, context. SJ Wimple asks, hi Nick, I've been listening to a lot of Curtis Fuller. What are some essentials of his to transcribe other than Blue Train? I literally, came up with a list yesterday and I uh, will pull out my notebook here that has a list of Curtis solos that I put together. So there's one that I like that's maybe not essential, but it's called The Stroller. There's a YouTube video of that one. Uh, Hugor is a great one. One by One is a great solo. It's All Right With Me with from the Jazz Tet is a great solo. Um, Bang Bang is another great solo if you want to learn how to play fast. Um, I like his solo on The Court. I like um, his solo on uh, Ugetsu. I like his solo on Soon from the opener, that record. And Hammerhead from um, Free For All, the Art Blakey Free For All. A lot of people like to transcribe his solo from Children of the Night. I like his solo on um, If I Were a Bell. That's from Boss of the Soul Stream trombone, I think. And then I've been trying to think about which ballads are essential. I got to still go back and um, uh, figure that out 100%. I, there's a bunch and I like I love his solo on uh, there's a record with um, Jimmy Smith house party they play just friends and they play it in D flat and Curtis he plays like a really long solo and it's pretty killing I'm, uh, I'm working on that because uh, if you don't know I also run like a virtual studio and in the studio we do it's like a subscription and we do a new lesson every week and right now we're working through uh, a bunch of uh, stuff around drones, but the next kind of di deep dive is going to end up being a, a tr kind of like a transcription course uh, around Curtis. So if you want to get in on that, that's uh, coming later this summer. If you know a song in one key, do you know a song in all keys? If so, what was your process to learn how? I mean, technically, yes. It depends how hard the song is, really, you know, if you want to really um, be specific, I suppose. There is some ways of thinking about it in terms of just like function. So what I mean is thinking about the harmony in terms of function and key, key areas, 
rather than thinking of it in terms of like here's like a flat f7 b flat 7 b flat e flat a flat and just rem remembering it like a phone number like a string of letters or something i like to think about it in key centers and and chord symbols so instead of a flat f b flat 7 i say one six dominant two dominant two five one two five to four up a down a fourth one six two dominant and then if you think about it like that like in roman numerals then you can transpose it to any key uh pretty instantaneously if you practice doing that sort of thing so it's definitely a skill and it's definitely one that gets easier over time it's really hard when you start so don't be sad if it's hard you know you got to just go for it so have you ever transcribed someone in a big band context as opposed to a combo context yes al gray i don't really make a distinction oh yeah also one essential there's an essential like for our fundies class fundamentals class at um unt the first solo that we do to kind of get into it into transcribing is a jj solo from a dizzy gillespie big band record called well i think it's a compilation that i have but the tune is called hey pete and uh it's an f blues it's really great because it's like super concise in one chorus like what are you going to play he's got like a two bar break and then he's got um one chorus and like what are you going to say in one chorus you know and it's super clean super clear really great so we're going to hear a lucas pino solo on uh evolution of perspective here uh real quick because it's really great and uh, I'm really excited about getting some new music into the world because it's been a while and it didn't get to happen last year. So. students don't believe me when I tell them like this is a blues like uh, I have a pretty loose definition of blues you know like it's anything that's 12 or 24 bars and it goes one and then it's subdominant and then it's dominant and then it goes back to one <laughs> to go over and watch watch uh, on uh, 
on YouTube later. You're going to have to go over and listen to that. There's a new cast of characters on uh, Spotify now. So go ahead and check that out if you want. That was a little clip of Lucas's solo. So it says, when you're learning a songbook ballad, do you prefer initially to learn the vocal recordings or instrumental ones? How does your approach differ between songbook and, say, strayhorn ballads? Um, I, I actually like kind of do a mixture. I don't necessarily only use one or the other. It's And I try to find, like, what are the common common ground between, you know, like, how do I know where to phrase or what the melody really is? So try to find an original. Try to find, like, I find the vocal versions usually, like, if they want to learn the verse or something, they generally might have the verse where um, instrumental versions maybe don't. Um, but I just try to learn the melody the way that that person plays and then, like, okay, I'll learn another version and be like, oh, okay, the melody must be some combination of these two, and then I got to find a third or fourth version to try to find what the melody really is. And then, even with a stray horn thing, like if you listen to the original, like an orchestrated big band version, like that's kind of the version, right, of how it was written down, but then how people interpret it over time can change. So, um, I try to do as much homework as I can, you know, as we as I go along to try to make sure that I'm. I just want to be informed. I want to. I've gotten caught so many times in a situation where somebody asked me a question like, oh, what's what's this or what's the melody here or like, and I just don't want to get caught anymore. That's kind of what I decided when I was in grad school. I'm like, whatever, I'm going to put in the extra time on this because I want to be knowledgeable about this song if I'm going to learn this song. And so that's what I, that's kind of the approach, I guess. You don't have to answer. Did you ever have any emotionally traumatic that changed the way you approached your music? Happy to share. Um, I mean, I would have to say that probably traumatic is too strong of a word. There were definitely experiences that, you know, drove me along the way. Um, one of them was there was a master class that I performed at for where we went in Marcellus when I was 13 or 14. And um, I think he could tell, like, you know, I was, like, pretty good at trombone, not jazz, but, like, pretty good at trombone for, you know, a ninth grader or whatever. So take all of this with a grain of salt. But, you know, whatever that meant to me at that moment, I thought, like, oh, I know what I'm doing, blah, 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 blah. And clearly I didn't. So um, he had some choice words for me in that master class, and it was, I don't know if it was traumatic necessarily but it was a, a moment a turning point for sure of me to be like oh if i want to do this i actually need to do this seriously and i need to actually investigate a little deeper some of this stuff so uh, that was a turning point there's also there were some in terms of changing the way i approach music i guess the biggest thing there happened between 2015 and 2017 and the impetus there of changing my approach was basically saying that I don't give a shit about what people think anymore, essentially. And that like, I need to sound good no matter what. And I had to decide that like, I realized that like, I looked up to some heroes that like Wycliffe Gordon is a hero, right? And he sounds good in the same, no matter what and the same in a good way. I mean, not like he plays the same thing. I mean, like he always sounds great regardless of the situation, whether it's with an elementary school band or it's with an orchestra or his own band, like he always sounds great. And I realized that I just needed to decide that I'm going to sound good all the time. 
I don't live up to that expectation all the time, but I really, I do hold myself to that standard and I had to just decide that, hey, I'm just gonna sound as good as I can and I need to figure out what that means for me and how to do it. But that was through um, ob observation, number one, and number two was because I was touring my records really hard and the only way that I could tour my records was to get local bands, right? And so to get local bands meant sacrificing some of the musical integrity of my original project of the guys I play with all the time, right? So not to say there's not great musicians everywhere, because there are, and there's lots of great musicians, but it's just, it's not a cohesive unit in the way that your band is, that's all I mean. And there was a time, especially when I was an undergrad, that I would blame uh, me sounding bad on a bad si musical situation. And I did that a lot. Like, oh, that band was sad. Of course I'm gonna sound sad because there's no, no, there's nothing to feed off of. There's no energy, blah, 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 blah. And that was just making excuses, you know? Like me, just making excuses. So he asked, are there any gigs you turn down because it isn't mu musically satisfying, although the pay is great? You know, I guess that just depends. If it was paid really great, then I would probably do it, but um, there's gigs that I turn down because they don't pay enough, even though it might be a good musical situation. And it's evolved over time. You know, I never said no. I never said no until 2018. I literally almost never said no. And I just said, yes, 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 yes. And then, you know, in 18, 19, I realized how overburdened I had become by saying yes all the time. And I had to cut back. I had to figure out a way to like, figure myself out and like say no, cause I can't, I couldn't keep going the way I was going. And then coronavirus, blah, 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 blah. All of that stuff happened and um, it kind of said no for me for a while. So now as we kind of like re-enter the real world, I'm having to kind of contend with that because now offers are coming in and I'm like, do I want to do that? And should I say yes to that because of like what you said, like the money or the music or the people? You know, I think, you know, it's commonly known people talk about that kind of like triangle or like stool, or like three stool, three um, legs of a stool. Like uh, it's either you got to have two of the three, right? The money, the music and the people, right? And so you, you'll probably do it for one of, you won't do it for one of those things because if you do, you'll be miserable. You just got to have at least two. Uh, and then sometimes you get all three, very rarely, but sometimes. And sometimes it's not about the music at all. There's plenty of times where I've been somewhere and flown back at my own expense to get back in time to play a gig at Smalls with a friend like Lucas, for example, because I want to play the music. It's not always about the money. So here, Daniel asks about the signal chain for these live streams. So I have a Canon DSLR. I have a ATEM mini switcher. And then I have a Zoom L8 board. And then I use, it's called Ecamm Live is the name of the software. And over a year of trial and error, I have figured out how to get it in sync. And uh, I bought a different lens over the course of the last year. And I realized kind of where, and I set up my desk so that I can't get out of the focus range. And I marked it, marked with a, on the, on the lens where it needs to be so that when I'm standing here, I'm in focus. Cause if I step back, now I'm out of focus, but right here, I know now that I'm in focus. So uh, trial and error is the name of the game there. You have a saying about throwing out all books. What books do you use? So I said I throw away all my real books. So I threw away all of my real books so that I learned tunes from recordings. So that doesn't have anything to do with like music books, right? 
of real books, fake books, whatever. There's there's plenty of resources uh, audio-wise that you can learn tunes from, so that's what I do. Learn from recordings. I mean, I mean, I use lots of books. I have a Roshu book that I use all the time. I like the Bish book. I like, um, the, of course, Arbenz has things that we need out of it. Different Jamie Abersall books, Omni books. I use lots of books, just not real books for learning tunes. Can you talk about how you planned your tours, how to pitch it to a venue to include them in a tour? So I always take this approach, which is it doesn't put money at the foreground, like earning money at the foreground of the purpose of the tour. So for me, especially at the beginning of your career, and I still consider myself in this same boat, like, you know, I'm further along than I was during the first record, but I view it as an advertising expense, as an audience building expense. Notice I said expense. I budget in what I can afford to spend on that expense, the tour. Of course, I try to make as much money as I can through various means, including gigs, workshops, lessons, everything. What I do is I kind of jump off from home base, right? There's gigs that I can reach from New York within driving distance and I can bring my band, right? So I hit up those ones and kind of like a home base of like New York. And then I'm from Rochester, New York. So then I go, all right, what's in Rochester? Can we play in Rochester? Can we do some drive outs from Rochester? I, when I was teaching in Florida, I established a bunch of connections in Florida. So then I go back through my Florida connections. Like, can I go back to Florida State? Can I play at the venues in Tallahassee? What about Jacksonville, Orlando, Miami? Kind of expand that way. And then, and then from there, you can also go like, oh yeah, there's some Atlanta and then there's Nashville and there's jazz venues in those places. And so slowly over time, build relationships one at a time, add one new gig to a tour. And then my family is out in Phoenix. And so I was like, all right, there's a great venue there called The Nash. And so I started a relationship with them. It didn't hurt that Lucas was also from Arizona. And um, that was kind of an in to get to start to play with them. So you need some kind of like little in, little starting point. And um, you do go from there and kind of grow outwards. And so like right now, while I'm in Texas, I'm trying to uh, build some relationships that allow me to like book a couple gigs in Texas. I mean, I played once in Austin. A uh, great little um, pop-up series called Monks Jazz, but I think he's got a permanent venue now, um, which was really awesome. So basically, my strategy has always been to say, I'm coming through this area on these dates. Uh, I would love to work something out. Do you have any? Do you have any um, ideas about when? Uh, do you have any? Uh, do, could those dates work for you? Uh, or I might pitch like w ones that are a week apart, saying like, Oh, I'm going to be in. I'm going to be in Rochester on this day. So I'll, I'll say a couple days before and after that day uh, in terms of what might work as a, um, in, in, a in a nearby place. And so I do the same thing with master classes. And, and so I say just opposite, right? So I say, like, I'm in town for a gig. I'd love to do a master class. Or I'm in town for a master class. I'd love to do a gig. Um, because I figure that I'm going to try to make that work in almost every city that Hopefully it works out, and if it doesn't, I mean, what harm was done? The only thing that ends up hurting you a little bit is that uh, you can't necessarily ask for as much travel money, et cetera, et cetera. But like I said, like I've always viewed it as like I need to get this music out, I need to get people to hear it, I need to give people these records, you know, get people to buy the records, all that stuff. So that's what I do. So one thing at a time, and with each tour, kind of like building. And now, like 
a bunch of the places are closed. So I'm kind of like starting over again a little bit. But I mean, it's not very common to be able to string together jazz club dates in the U.S., you know. And uh, if you can do it, it, it's, you know, it definitely cuts down on expenses. But it's like it's a, it's a double edged sword because the venues don't have the money. But then again, they won't like help you link together dates. So if you're kind of on your own, I feel like, especially in the early and middle part of your career, once you're like being able to demand a high fee, you know, you can you can uh, it's a little easier. But my whole thing, my whole approach, what I tell every artist on the label, what I anytime have a consulting call with artists, they all want press. Everyone wants press. Everyone wants reviews. Everyone wants that validation. They want that external validation. But you know, the thing that you actually need is fans. You need people that care about your music. It doesn't matter if the if New York Times covers you because most people are not going to become a fan of your music through the New York Times or through Downbeat or, or through whatever venue. They're going to become fans of your music by hearing you and hearing your music. So the, the focus has to be getting the music in front of people at the beginning. All that other stuff is great. It's icing on the cake. It's certainly important. And I want those things for myself too. You know, I want the downbeat review. I want those that coverage also. But it's like you have to at the same time go directly to the audience. Build an audience. Because I think about Snarky Puppy as the best example. They were playing for years. Then all of a sudden they do something cool. People start to take notice even though they've been doing 10 years worth of cool stuff. Then all of a sudden, winning Grammys, on the cover of the magazines, blah, 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 blah. But they've been touring for years because they had fans and they could go and play for those fans in any city. So the same goes for you, Alton. It goes for whoever. It's like you build up fans. Know that there, there's people that will come out to your shows. They'll bring people. Find a way to make it work because at first, you're not going to be able to expect to like even break even, at least in my opinion. Will we ever see a Marcinkowitz, Nick Finzer artist model? I don't know. You have to tell Marcinkowitz that you want it to be the artist model. I think the one that I'm selling, the 6ES, uh, if you want a Marcinkowitz mouthpiece, that's the one I play. Maybe, they, maybe they'll rename it someday. 6E-S is the one. If you want to check it out, you can get it at nickfinzer.store. Do you have any gigs lined up for New York City this summer? Uh, maybe. There's a couple of pending things. Um, I'm not sure you know, what's happening in terms of reopening and booking concerts, you know, for me, because like, I haven't been back to the city, you know, I've been going back every couple of weeks. And then once um, March 2020 hit, I've been in, I've been in Texas teaching, you know, and uh, just kind of waiting for everything to die down. So I'm going to be on the East Coast for a bunch of the summer. But uh, I'm not exactly sure yet what that what that might look like. Uh, in the city, I definitely want to play. But uh, in terms of will something line up i'm not quite sure yet but i want to take a few minutes here to diverge from our q a for just a moment i want to talk just about, and announce the winner uh, the first winner we have two winners of a Mar this marcinkowitz uh scholarship to the jastromone boot camp it's still open for entries if you want to uh, enter so you can see that link is on my instagram bio you can find it but we have two winners and they're going to get full tuition to the Jastrom Bone Bootcamp, and a Marcinkowitz mouthpiece of their choice. And so our first winner uh, that is on being announced today, we'll announce another one next Friday uh, at next week's um, 
live stream. We'll announce the second winner. Uh, I'll also be emailing this person. Uh, and so there's been a lot. It's not that long of a process. You know, just go put your name, why you think you should um, get the scholarship, why you need the scholarship, why you want scholarship, be enrolled as a student somewhere, um, or be kind of close to being a student. As long as you're not um, way out of school, we'll consider that as a great application. Uh, so our first winner is Sia Charles. She is from Cape Town, South Africa. And uh, so she is the winner of the first ever Jastrow Bone Bootcamp Scholarship. And that's sponsored by Marcinkowitz. And so they will be handling that. They will be um, handling getting her a mouthpiece. Uh, we'll work on that together. Uh, see ya. And then also uh, full tuition to the boot camp. So I'm excited uh, to be able to have uh, someone from South Africa joining us now for the boot camp and uh, making it even more diverse of an event in terms of location and uh, experience and being able to share. Because, you know, I think it's really important just to be able to have that different non-U.S. centric you know, focus. We have some other international people as well from UK and Europe that have signed up. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And it's again, June 14 through 18, 11 a.m. Eastern time, New York City time, 11 a.m. to about 4 p.m. each day. And it includes those master classes, includes sessions with me and RTAs, some listening sessions, um, special topics, diving, diving into language and all different stuff. So uh, if you want to learn more, you can go and learn more. But see you, Charles. Can't wait to see you at the boot camp. So thanks for entering. And next Friday, we will have number two. So next Friday, we'll have the second winner, and we will announce that live on the stream, and then I'll get in touch with them. You said last week something about three takes max from recording. Do you have the same philosophy for recording big bands? Um, if yes, if you're recording live together, I would never do three more than three full takes, regardless of the ensemble size. But that's also because I value energy and vibe over perfection. Uh, if you are a person that likes perfect recordings and that kind of like nitty gritty, like needs to be perfect vibe, then you might need to do more. I want to I like the I want the vibe to be right. And that's the most important thing, whether it's a big band, a quintet, a trio, you know, whatever it is. And so what I would do is like probably two recordings and then maybe a punch. Like, oh, we need the intro again, or oh, we need the ending again, or oh, we need the solo section again, and um, be able to edit those things together rather than like another full take, you know? So I, I don't have a hard and fast rule, but I can say that more than three takes in a, in a row in particular, like sometimes you need to take a break and come back. So you could do two or three and then come back at the end of the day or something if you have extra time and like do another one. That happens sometimes, but like doing two or three in a row, like you end up with a uh, diminishing returns in my experience like people are sick of playing the song they want to move on they know there's so many other songs to keep recording so it's not good for morale and it's not good for the flow of the session to get bogged down uh, in my opinion but that's not to say that you can't make a plan for hard passages so if there's something that's like particularly difficult for the horns say and this is a big band say a big band session if you plan it out and say, okay, horns lay out for this part and then we're going to overdub it because it's hard and we don't want to screw it up. That is a, just a smart thing to do. So sometimes I'll say like, or lead trumpet, lead, leave your part out because it's really high and we don't want to have to go back and do like 75,000 takes for you to get your one note, right? So we just let everybody take a break and have that one person overdubs. So if there's no mistake, it's easy to overdub. But if there's a mistake, then everyone has to play if they're not all isolated.
Is the date to apply for the scholarship past due? No, it's not past due. I'll accept entries all the way up until next Friday when we announce the second winner. So as long as you're sending it, the, the, those applications in, I will see them and I will consider all of the applications other than Sia because she already uh, got number one. It can be US-based, international, any level. You know, it should be someone that we're not going to cover trombone basics at this camp. So if it's somebody who's maybe just picking up the trombone for the first time, it might not be such a great fit. If you're a trombonist that wants to learn more about jazz, it's going to be perfect for you. A lot of the students are high school and college students or recent uh, master's graduates, things of that nature, you know. Uh, and also adult learners, too. Uh, we've had many, many uh, people that um, had careers and then picked the trombone back up and it's their passion and they want to learn more. So we're excited about um, having them as well. And it's been super awesome. Last year, we had some really great people in that camp. We put together a, a packet, like a PDF packet that goes out to everyone that's got e exercises from the week and pretty much everything that we're going to cover, we put into a packet so that you have something to take with you, some stuff to practice. We record all the sessions so that uh, you can go back and like watch it again, hear it again, especially the master classes with our great guest artists. If you missed it, uh, we've got Vincent Gardner, we've got Steve Davis, we have Michael Davis, and we have Andre Hayward, some really, really, really great artists and educators. So I'm going to close out today's session by going back and watching maybe just the ending here of uh, the, uh, not the whole thing, but a couple more minutes of the cast of characters live in Denton EP that's out today. Uh, again, it's a streaming only record. Uh, you can stream it everywhere. Uh, it's only for streaming and a bunch of videos coming soon. Uh, and of course, we have this from Lucas Pino, we're in the middle of this solo, so we're gonna pick it up from here and hear a little bit of this as we get any last minute questions. But I'm super glad you all could be here today. So thank you for coming. And let's let's hear some music. <laughs> perfect all the time. It's the beauty of a live recording, right? Thank you. 
wrap it up there for today. I'll uh, have uh, you can go and check that out if you'd like to. I appreciate everyone who's been here asking questions over the last many, many weeks. Uh, love you all, and thanks for being here. And we're going to wrap it up for this week. Check out the new record, Cast of Characters, live in Denton. We're going to have some great videos coming out in the coming weeks. One more week to apply for the Jastermone Boot Camp Scholarship, and we'll have number two, winner number two, announced next week on the live stream. And uh, again, Sia Charles from Cape Town, South Africa, is the winner of Marcinkowitz Scholarship number one to the boot camp. So uh, thanks. Have an amazing weekend, and we will catch you next week.